Wonder Things Studios proudly presents a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Clint Gage. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Billado. And you've tuned in to a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is an opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators and explore their craft in our never-ending quest to improve our own. Indeed, the ongoing, never-ending quest for awesomeness on the page, on the Skypes, on the photosphere. Uh, uh, excellence knows no boundaries, and neither do we. Dear friends, it is my singular pleasure to introduce you to my colleague in crime over at the Ed Greenwood Group, a writer in her own right, a podcaster, and an all-around fabulous person, Marie Billadeau. Uh, it has been a delight working with you over at the Ed Greenwood Group, and i got to tell you, I am I am pumped and delighted that we were able to get you on as co-host for the Roundtable. This is badass. Thank you so much, ma'am. I am excited. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of this show for a while, so it, it feels like a little bit of a dream to be here. I'm waiting for <laughs> unicorns to pop up and sing around me. It's great. <laughs> They're not there yet? I sent the damned unicorns. Damn it! <laughs> oh. You can't trust them. They go sing in meadows all the time. That, it's either that or it's FedEx, one of the two. Uh, either way, uh, they'll get there eventually. <laughs> oh, awesome. Marie, uh, sit back, relax. Uh, your, your duties for the next five minutes are very, very low because I would like very much to introduce you to our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With. May I? Oh, I am looking forward to this. Please go ahead. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I am too. I am too. Okay, well, Marie, you know as well as I do that the concept of storytelling has changed. Uh, in the age of YouTube, iTunes, Instagram, cell phones, and digital media in general, the, the notion of an eloquent raconteur telling stories around a fire is at best quaint and at worst antiquated. Uh, today's storytellers embrace a much broader palette for their tales, transcending the written word with sound and image. And our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With is one of those visionary transmedia creators, uh, a filmmaker and a media producer who lifts the stories that inspire him into new dimensions of sight and sound. Now, looking back on his childhood, it's really not a huge shock that he should become a media trailblazer. Uh, his father had worked in media for over 50 years, first as a rock musician playing with some of the icons of rock and roll, and then later, when it came time to raise a family, he transitioned into radio. So our guest host grew up with a very different awareness of how stories are told, while, while most of us are dazzled by the wonder and theater of the presentation, he was seeing how it was made, immersed in the process and nuance of production. Now, our guest host has a very strong noir aesthetic to his storytelling, an inclination that emerged early in his youth as he transitioned from Hardy Boy's Mysteries to Batman, and then to Jack Kerouac and Elmore Leonard. And on television, Hill Street Blues occupied the same familiar space on the dial as Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek. 
Now, he was also a gamer, which endears him greatly here at the round table, but he didn't really discover RPGs until college. Up until then, he was creating his own games with his friends. Now, once he discovered the game industry, it was the GURPS system that became his main RPG fix. Uh, and the worlds he and his friends created were immense. Their campaigns were epic, running five years in real time uh, and 25 years in game time. It was amazing. Now, in high school, he continued to straddle cultural fences with relative ease, uh, striding the halls as both a jock playing baseball and football and as a nerd, which is, I can tell you, no small task. Uh, he also had a mind for business, participating in DECA in both high school and college. It's an international program that prepares young visionaries for entrepreneurial awesomeness. Uh, he also got the chance to assist in and eventually direct commercials and other media creations for WVJZ. And when they changed formats and became WJMA, our guest host was deemed a most valuable asset, and they picked him up to continue his work. He had a taste for this vibrant and dynamic brand of storytelling, and he wanted more. He attended Germana Community College in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and then the University of Virginia, pursuing a degree in media and marketing. But then he got a job at WCVA as a music director and then as a program director. And honestly, he was learning more on the job than he was in his classes. Uh, something had to give, and he chose to pursue the hands-on education of a media producer. And he must have been doing something right, because in the late 90s, he optioned his first script titled Sins of the Father. Now, the film was never made, as is often the case with option scripts, but the rights reverted back to him, and he's working on updating it to contemporary standards for possible production. Now, in the midst of all this marvelous media madness, our guest host wasn't neglecting his inner storyteller. He self-published his first novel in 1999, just as the ebook phenomena was gaining traction. He's not thrilled with it, to be honest. It was a first effort, a little rushed. But looking back with wiser and more experienced eyes, he could see it for what it is, a learning experience that made him a better storyteller. And he persisted. And in 2003, he published a short story Story in Futures magazine titled Human Condition. That tale would go on to be nominated for a pushcart prize, as would his next published story, When Illusions Fail, the following year. All told, he's published 32 stories, 7 articles, 5 novels, and even written a graphic novel, a testament to his commitment to his craft and his desire to tell a good story. Now, one of those stories, A Clean Exit, has become his most recent film project. He adapted it, shot it on the weekends, and edited it during the week. The film is now finished and has been uploaded for festival screening. Uh, the trailer, by the way, is exceptionally badass and, of course, will be listed in the liner notes. Make with the clicky-click and check that stuff out. Now, A Clean Exit was produced by Growth Media Productions, a production company created in 2008 by our guest host and his wife, and is just the latest in a long list of cinematic tales, uh, a filmography that includes numerous commercials, almost a dozen short films, and two feature-length productions, Violent Karma and Voices of the Holocaust. And then... 
Then there's the Shotgun Mythos series. Two seasons, ten episodes each, running 44 glorious minutes. And its companion series, Decoding Mythos. Now, Shotgun Mythos weaves apocryphal Bible tales with the Seely and Unseely Court of the Fae and other fantastical elements into a gritty urban fantasy series. It was released as a web series, and it's since been syndicated by a dozen television stations and recognized with a DC WebFest ITV Young Guns Award. Now, whether he's crafting noir urban fantasy films, insightful documentaries, fiction, or even poetry, it's fairly clear to me, as I'm sure it is to you, that beneath the talent and vision he brings to his productions is the heart of a true storyteller whose delight in his craft is exceeded only by his commitment to it. Now, when pressed to pick his favorite movies, which is always an agonizing exercise for a filmmaker, he cites Branagh's Hamlet, Seven Samurai, The Fall, and The Departed at the top of his list. His favorite flavor of ice cream is cookie dough because cookie dough, duh, Uh, and he has been ordained by the Church of the Latter-day Dude. Yes, friends, our guest host, like the dude abides. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the round table, Clint Gage. Clint, holy crap, your your life is, is a film reel of awesomeness stretching out behind us, and I can only imagine the fabulosity uh, that is strewn before you in your destiny, so I'm delighted that we could find a little time to chat with you, man. We really appreciate it. I... I, I'm just in awe of listening about myself because I, I really need to hire you. <laughs> Come with me everywhere I go. Absolutely. Just, you, you walk in the room first, and then I'll follow. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> that sounds absolutely like a plan. And uh, you know, I've considered being a professional herald. I think that could be fun. <laughs> so I, I got to ask before we dive into our twenty minutes and and all of that. I, I got to ask. How does one become an ordained minister of the Church of the Latter-day Dude? Oh, you just got to be a fan of the movie. Um, <laughs> Is that it all it takes? That hard, but it, it was it was uh, it was something I couldn't pass up. <laughs> well, no, who would? Good heavens, exactly. no. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, so friends, if you want to join us in our ministry, please check out the Big Lebowski one more time. <laughs> And become an ordained minister of the Church of the Latter-day Dudes. Or dudettes, I would assume. I, I assume they're not gender-specific. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there we go. So, Marie? I'm in. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> all right, all right. Enough, enough uh, fricka-fracka and, and frippery here. Let's dive into this. I'm keen to start our 20 minutes with Clint Gage. I'm just setting the clock here. So we can ignore it. Uh, the poor clock must be developing a complex by now. Um, <laughs> Clint, I, I, uh, I'm going to lead off with this. I, I had the pleasure of moderating a panel at Balticon this year called Adapting Your Story for Film. It featured you as well as Charlie Brown, James Gossard, and Isolde Trachtenberg. And while I don't want to rehash old content. A lot of our listeners weren't able to make the Balticon scene, and there was some amazing stuff that was going on in that in that panel, so I want to kind of riff on that, and basically, I was wondering if you'd be able to wax Rhapsodic for just a little bit on the distinction in your perspective uh, between storytelling for a book and storytelling for a film, 
and and how does one transfer the text into a film? Well, you know, I think I think every story that's that's ever written, ever told, has to have a motivating factor, something that uh, is personal to the writer. Sure. However, with novels, a, a true craftsman can write a novel that they don't necessarily have an emotional attachment to. And it can even be really, really good. It's far easier to do that, I think, as a craftsman in in novels. With screenplays, it gets a little harder if you're if you're working alone. Now, I don't mean like in the studio system, but I'm talking about more independent films, because you know, obviously, you you can take a look on Hollywood, and there's not not everything is a personal story. Yeah. But I think when you're talking indie, there you really have to have an, uh, a motivating factor for writing it. Um, because you're going to be living with it for so long. Sure. Um, with a screenplay, uh, you're typically working on a script for, well, I mean, a clean exit. We worked on, I worked on that for, uh, that was with me for 10 years. Wow. Um, Holy crap. For, for a clean exit. And then, of course, you have to make it. And, you know, and then making it, not only are you living with the story, but then you have to, you have to live with the compromises you make. And some of the compromises you love and some of the compromises you make because the budget. And I think you have to love it enough to make those compromises, to know what's okay and what's not. Sure, um, sure. And see, that's the real thing with novels, is with novels, there's no budget other than the time <laughs> it takes you to sit down and write. Right. You know, with a novel, if I want to have a, uh, a massive war fleet uh, fighting it out in space above Earth, it's not a big deal. If I write that into a screenplay... That's a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that's a call to Lucas. <laughs> yeah, industrial yeah. light and magic, sure. So that, that's the 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 bigger differences is that you really have to you have to understand budgets and you have to understand the reality of making it, and you have to identify your uh, your market. And I don't mean your your viewers. That's that's a whole different issue. When you're writing a screenplay, you have to identify. Are you selling this to a big studio? Are you looking at a mid studio? Are you looking at a low budget studio? Or are you looking at financing it yourself? Because those are the four; those are your big four targets. Is so who are you going to who are you going to aim for when you're writing that? So how how does how does the choice of studio beyond you know the special effects budget, uh, but but how does the choice of studio impact the the story that you're going to tell through your script? Well, I mean, if you're looking at like a big studio and you're a first-time uh, writer, uh, if they love your script, they'll buy it from you. But then you may not even be allowed on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And that's that's not uncommon because at that point it then becomes the director's job and the producer's jobs. You're not even in the equation anymore. So if you're identifying, let's say you want to sell it to a studio that might let you have a little bit more say, so a, a smaller studio, you have to understand their budgets. So if you have written a hundred million dollar budget film, you're not going to get that. You're not going to even get in the door right. with the, right. uh, the smaller studio. And then if you're looking at producing it yourself, which is what I do, um, I have to figure out what my budget will allow. And then we have to work around that. Sure. Well, let's let's put aside the notion of budget for just a moment, because clearly that's sure, an issue. Sure. Uh, uh, but I'm wondering... Uh, there's a difference. I mean, certainly we've seen enough books adapted into movies, Harry Potter, Stephen King, yada, yada, uh, Born Identity, so on and so forth. And what people experience in a book and what people experience in a film, very different stuff. 
And I'm curious, obviously, like right, a clean right. exit started off as a story for you, and then you migrated it into a film. What was that transition like for you? What what ended up on the on the editing floor in terms of script before you even started shooting? How did you translate the story from paper to visual? Well, right off the bat, the novel takes place in Detroit, and we were going to be shooting in West Virginia and <laughs> in the D.C. area. So right away, we had to change the location sure. uh, for the script. And then, you know, after that, little things happen. Like um, we had a, a character who was supposed to be a uh, kind of a male misogynistic jerk because when I was researching this, I spent time at a police station watching a, a, a team very much like the team in my movie. And one of the guys there was just kind of he, – he would just say the most random things and you'd just think – wow, how is this guy ever going to get married, ever have a relationship? Because if that's how he thinks, good luck. And he was that kind of guy. So when I saw it, when I met him, I immediately just kind of started taking notes and I, he's got to make it in the book. So I wrote him into the book and he's in the book. There's not a whole lot of redeeming qualities to him. He's just kind of a, kind of a pig. Well, when we were auditioning actors for the, uh, for the film, uh, we had an actor approach me and say, hey, I'm really interested in playing one of the uh, police officers that you've got in the call, but they're all men. Would you be open to this character being a woman? And I thought, well, kind of a male misogynistic pig. And the actor <laughs> said, well, what if it was a lesbian who's a male, who's a female uh, uh, male uh, misogynistic pig? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that could be interesting. We didn't end up changing one line of dialogue. Holy crap. We just changed her name from Dave to Davey. And it, and it's great. It works actually better in the film. Um, so so the actual the, the the creatives that that get involved in the process of of telling this story through film actually had a dramatic impact on the final story that makes the screen. Oh yeah, I mean when you're when you're a writer, you're really just you know, if you put it into book terms, the screenwriter is really just the first editor. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you've got the director. He's the next editor. Well, actually, no, the next editor would probably be the producer who's going to make the film, who, who's <laughs> fine. But then you've got the director. But then every other person will have little uh, nuances that they'll add. You know, you might set uh, in the screenplay, you might set something in a log cabin. Well, the set designer might come back and say, how about if we make this a really nice apartment? And if the director goes with it, it changes. So filmmaking is so um, it is such a, it's, <laughs> it's a group effort. It's everything about it is it's it's literally everyone. And I think the best film sets are the ones that are open to that kind of uh, feedback. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Clint Gage after this brief promotional break. Hi, I'm Nuke Chas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Maddie Bites. Nimwast.org. 
Let's get back to the conversation with Clint Gage. You know, we had a scene in A Clean Exit that we filmed. And in the screen and in the script, the way I had written it was I wanted the actor to be stoic. And to my, uh, my lead actor's credit, he played it stoic. And then he said, could I play this a little more vulnerable? Now, at that point, he's being a, a, an editor to the story. Sure. Asking if he can make a change. But then I have to put take off the writer hat and I've got to be the director and I've got to make a, a decision there as well. So at that point, I become another editor and I say, yeah, let's let's go ahead and in this next take. Let's play it a little more uh, vulnerable. Well, when I went into the editing room, which is, again, the last line of editing, <laughs> when you get to that, that room and I'm in the editing room, I didn't use anything that I wrote. <laughs> As the editor, I chose I chose his his choice to play it because it played better. So I I guess that's one of the advantages to to screenwriting and well to filmmaking is that you literally have a chance to fix everything along sure. the way and you let know? everything evolve as well yeah, because yeah. because you've got uh, uh, actors with different performance skills you've got you know directors of photography you've got producers everybody bringing their aesthetic into the mix and and at any given time it sounds like different people are are literally carrying the story through to, through to the next phase of evolution well, and yeah, and they're bringing their own experiences to it. It makes it a richer experience. Yeah. Um, which which may give it the, I think, when you're talking about originals, because in the panel we were talking, we were talking about adapting. Right. And adapting is a little harder because fans are already invested. Yeah, yeah. But when you're doing an original story, you really have a lot more room. We do a lot of that with Shock and Mythos, too, where we'll shoot it as as the as it's written but then we'll also let the actors riff a little bit and take it and uh, you know add nuance to the characters that weren't necessarily there on the page excellent and then as you write subsequent episodes then i would imagine those changes and those discoveries made in earlier episodes actually alter the scripts that you write for for subsequent episodes yes oh absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah in fact we we keep a, um, for Shock and Mythos, we keep a uh, uh, story Bible that whenever we make a choice that will affect the future, we it goes right into that story Bible so that we know, well, that character wouldn't do that because she said blah, blah, blah in the uh, in scene, you know, six from episode four. Oh, right. And we'll make these notes. And we uh, we keep pretty strict grip on that as so that we, we are telling the same story. That's fascinating. Um, that that's just intriguing. I, well, I think if you surround yourself with the right people, I think you're gonna. If you surround yourself with the right people who are creatives, and push, uh, and as long as it's not about ego and it's about story, you'll get some amazing stuff. Uh, see now, now you're talking our language here at the round table. That's absolutely been borne out time and time again. Uh, I'm I'm gonna turn the mic over to my to my charming co-host Marie. Marie, I know you've got questions for Clint as well. I do, I do. And you know, when I was reviewing all of them, not not in as much stalking details as Dave did, because Dave, <laughs> not everybody's an expert stalker like Dave, and kudos to you. Um, one of the things I found fascinating was because of your experience writing both novel and scripts as well, and you've just kind of 
expounded on that in a really beautiful way where uh, I hear novelists sometimes say they hate it when an editor even changes one word. And here you are accepting and in fact, expecting that your work will change as you move ahead into that towards that final phase, which is really really a beautiful uh, artistic collaborative effort. So I love that. Um, and another thing that you mentioned beforehand too, which Dave touched on in your bio was you mentioned that sometimes you don't, you have to keep moving ahead, even when the product isn't quite where uh, it could be, or it might be if you had something different in the long road. Uh, where it hit me is I, I noticed online that you mentioned that for Shotgun Mythos, you actually reshot the entire first season because you liked, you loved, I mean, it was a good episode, a good series. It, it, the episodes were good. The writing was good, but the, technically, especially, you could really push that a little bit further. And, and that seemed to be another part of your creative process where you don't let that perfect moment, you don't wait for that perfect moment before you move ahead with the project. Can you just inspire me and everyone listening here a little <laughs> bit about, about that movement, your philosophy behind just going ahead? What is that line between ready enough? What, what makes something ready enough to go ahead? Well, I think, I think, I think if you are looking for a, um, a guideline that says, okay, if I have this, 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 and this, I'm ready. I think you're already looking for excuses to not go forward. I love it. I think the, the answer is, do you want to tell the story? If you want to tell the story, then do it. It doesn't matter if you have everything else together. Just do it. Um, when we started with um, Shock and Mythos, our equipment was all based, was all built for, um, uh, well, not to bore anybody with details, but when you, when you have uh, cameras, certain cameras do certain things well. And our equipment was uh, purchased to, do, uh, to handle interviews and commercials well, not to do film. So when we got started, we were using cameras that weren't good with low light. We didn't have enough lights. Um, we didn't have uh, great microphones, but we shot it anyway. And yeah, there were a ton of flaws. But here's the important thing. That got us in the door and had we had that opened us up to meetings and got us onto uh, uh, to television, which inspired us to go further. We then got an investor because of what we had done. We wouldn't have gotten the investor if we hadn't shot anything. Well, and I think I think the thing is is perfection. The 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 myth of perception is is a standard for the industry to hold itself to. You know, I don't believe that the random Joe Blow in the streets who's going to buy your book or watch your show, they don't care <laughs> if it's perfect. <laughs> They, they want a good they story. Want to, they want to be yeah. entertained. They don't care about all those little those little things. You know, it's funny. One of the things that that always bothered me as a novelist is sometimes I would break literary rules on purpose. No. And I had someone come up to me to point out a flaw in the sentence, and that I hadn't used something. I don't even remember the the, the what the sentence was, but they um, were pointing out a flaw, and. I said, well, yeah, but if you look at what I'm doing here, you'll understand why I broke that rule. And they went, oh, well, that makes sense. And it struck me as sad that that's how that person, because they, because they worked in the industry, they were so busy focused on perfection that they weren't just enjoying the, the, the art. Well, and perfection in the context of some arbitrary, you know, 
defined criteria uh, uh, as defined by decades of film production, which is, is actually the, the exact opposite of innovation and, and pushing the boundaries of visual storytelling. Well, and perfection doesn't exist. <laughs> Nothing's <True. perfect>. Right. <laughs> there, there, is nothing, there is no book that's perfect. Right. There, there, is, there is no movie that is perfect. Everything has a flaw. Now, it's whether or not you're looking for that flaw or not as to whether or not you find it. You know, I have studied the heck out of the movie movies I love, and yeah, I mean, there everything has there's something where you might have made a choice differently. But that's really what it boils down to is when people are saying perfection. Well, these are choices. Creatives make choices, and it, what you're saying when it's, you're saying something's not perfect, well, what you're really saying is they made a choice that you wouldn't have made. <laughs> and I don't think the I don't think the audience cares. I think that's for industry professionals. Sure. When you're so focused on making sure the situation is perfect, you know, knowing that when do you move forward? I think if you're trying to figure out when to move forward, you've already lost that battle. Just do it. Wow. Yeah. To, to wow. quote Shia LaBeouf, just yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't quote Shia LaBeouf, really? Uh, it's the icon of our age. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, exactly. The, the, the clock the clock is ticking down, Clint, but I want to ask uh, one other question, a question that is near and dear to Maria and I's heart, uh, and I think to a growing number of, of writers and storytellers out there, uh, and that is the collaborative experience. Um, clearly, you know, in film, as you pointed out earlier, it is a huge epic collaboration and an evolution of story you've you've worked in graphic novels and i know from experience that that also is a huge collaboration usually between you and the artist but there is a whole team of individuals involved there could you give our listeners some insights into what makes for a good collaboration what can you do to help facilitate a strong, positive, collaborative experience? And what can you look for in others that will maybe be a signpost for, ooh, yes, he will be, a, or she will be a good person to collaborate with? I honestly, I think it really boils down to just whether or not people can put aside, for, for me, what I look for when I look for like actors, what I look for uh, in co-writers, what I look for in film partners is the ability to put their ego aside. Yeah. If it, you know, a great example is on a clean exit, one of our actors was arguing a point with me and he and I were going back and forth and somebody asked me, well, didn't that offend you that he was questioning you? And I'm like, no, because he was serving the story. As long as their argument is about the story, you're not going to offend me. <laughs> if you're focused now, now, if you're now, if your question is, is this light hitting me just right? Because this is my good side. Well, that is that's annoying. <laughs> but if they're arguing a point for their character, then I got I, I have to hear it. Sure. I, I have to hear that argument because they might be right. And that's the real question is and well and that's important for me. I have to put my ego aside and say, Well, you know, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Let's go with that idea because that idea is better. And that that's what I have to work on and that's what I try to work on every day is to make sure that I can put my ego aside too. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think I think anybody who thinks that they, or feels good at what they do, you have a certain level of ego, but at the same time you have to know when to turn it off. 
Yeah. yeah. You you need some swagger even to to have the cojones to 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 write the damn story and to put it out in the world. Even even just shopping it around for an agent or or a publisher of some kind. Uh, uh, but even putting it up, you know, self pub. That that there is. Hmm, and we and I, I, I ego it can be a good thing. Ego, uh, it's when it transcends into arrogance where you believe your way is the Bingo. only way uh, <laughs> that, we, yeah. that we cross that line. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, guys, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's manifested some fey overtones, and it seems to be bearing a sword that's aflame at me, and I, I can only assume uh, either this is the apocalypse or uh, our time has run out, hopefully the latter, although, God, we could just do this for hours. Uh, Clint Gage, this has been a delight, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Marie. Uh, wow, there was there was there was some writerly goodness there. Even though the conversation was tuned very specifically towards film, there was there was some stuff I think that every writer can can glom onto and tuck into their writerly toolbox. What what jumped out for you? What what's sticking in your creative net from that convo? Wow. Um, there was so much to grab onto, to be honest. I think the thing that jumped out the most as me is like, okay, Clint has done so much and he hasn't shied away from it all. And he just kind of went ahead and embraced whatever he was doing. He didn't wait for the perfect moment. He didn't wait for the perfect skill set. He just did it. And he quoted Shia LaBeouf. I mean, if, if you do that, it must be true. So I that just jumped out of me. It's very inspiring, in fact, because look at the results he's gotten. So it's obviously working. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And actually, the thing that stuck, stuck out to, for me uh, is a corollary to that. The fact that he did go forward especially with season one of shotgun mythos and and you know worked with what he had and worked with the gear that he had and and even though i'm sure on some level there was an awareness in his mind that this is not how it would be if it was going to be on on fox or on usa or or on some television network or whatever uh, uh the story had to be told and in doing so created further opportunities for the future. And that's, I think, what really stuck out for me. By committing to the story and going ahead and doing it with what you've got and what your environment is providing at that moment, you open doors for better stories and better versions even of the same story on down the road. And that's inspiring for me. I agree completely. I inspired all over. Yes, there was much. There was much good writerly <laughs> goodness and inspiration. Well, friends, I, I hope you caught some of that inspiration uh, as as we as we waxed rhapsodic with Clint Gage. Uh, uh, and if you did, we have a treat for you. Uh, uh, come back in seven days because in seven days we're going to bring Clint back. Uh, Marie will come back as well, and of course I'll be here. Uh, <laughs> can't get rid of me. Uh, and we'll add to the mix. Uh, a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who will set the table for a most unique storytelling and brainstorming feast uh, uh, for whom 
Clint is uniquely suited uh, and for whom Marie and I will just have all kinds of frothing good times playing in that in that pool as well. Uh, so do come back for that. But that's that's seven days from now. I know that's a long damn time. Uh, uh, Marie, help our listeners out. What can they do between now and seven days from now just to make that time fly by? You know, to make that time fly by, and I think this is very important, I myself will be focusing on this for the next seven days. Please try to learn to make the perfect cup of sticky Thai rice. (laughs) 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 That that is important. It is near and dear to my heart personally, and and please, good luck with that. Master away. This is a moment of zen, dear friends, for, for in the crafting of the perfect sticky Thai rice, enlightenment will come upon you. Uh, <laughs> and tasty rice. Too. And I mean, tasty rice, exactly. <laughs> Bonus. There's there's gravy on those potatoes. That's awesome. <laughs> and I will tell you, dear friends, as I always do, uh, that you find what you're looking for. So look for the perfect tasty sticky Thai rice. Look for the wow. Look for the awesomeness out in the world and if you look for it dear friends i promise you you will find it we will see you in just seven days until then you guys stay cool stay frothy and stay awesome and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.